Thank you, Lord, now for this time when we turn our attention to the Word of God. Thank you for the clarity with which you've delivered it. I pray, Lord, that um, it would be a clear word this morning of encouragement and strengthening. Thank you, Father, for what it means to us to gather like this, to find hope and health, forgiveness of sin, purpose in life, through your Word and through the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we turn our ears now attentively to the Word, and we pray for your Holy Spirit to have a freedom to work among us to accomplish your purposes through this message. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For much of my adult life, I have been away from home. That is, five or six hundred miles away from my parents' place in Michigan. Do you know what it feels like to be away from home for a long time and then to get to go home? I don't think there's anything quite like that feeling. And through the years, I can remember even when Tasha was a little girl asleep in the back seat and driving five, six hundred miles, it seemed that often on our trips home to Michigan, it would be after midnight or one or two or three in the morning before we would arrive, busy in ministry and then heading home for whatever reason. Where my mom and dad lived was about four or five miles off of Interstate 81 between Chicago and Detroit near Kalamazoo. And there were about four or five miles of country roads. There was something about arriving at that Lawrence exit and getting off and heading on those gravel roads to mom and dad's that just awakened me. Janet would be asleep and Tasha would be asleep and then turning down in dad's driveway and the floodlight would pop on from the sensor and that would wake mom up and she would come to the door. Home. You know that feeling? Safe here. I can rest here. This is where I belong. It's with that sense and that feeling that I want you to turn with me this morning to Genesis chapter 12 again and we're going to move into chapter 13. And we're going to in a sense, review or build on what we had last week with Abram taking this detour down into Egypt, but this week he's going to return home. Let's read our text. Let's remind ourselves of what has happened here. And then in a relatively simplistic fashion, but I hope a practical fashion to encourage you from avoiding to, to avoid the mistakes that Abram made in taking some detours. Uh, and then he returns home. Let's read our text and, and get into it, and I think you'll be encouraged and strengthened. Genesis chapter 12 is where we are as we're working through this great book of beginnings. We're now in chapter 12. Let's begin with verse 10, read our entire text from last week, and then let's read the text for this week, which is particularly... 13, 1 through 4, we want to see what happens there. Genesis 12, 10, Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while, because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife, and then they will kill me, but will let you live. 
Say you are my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. And when Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that she was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to the Pharaoh, to Pharaoh and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake and Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, men servants and maid servants and camels. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me? He said. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. Chapter 13, so Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had and Lot with him. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. From the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai where his tent had been earlier and where he had first built an altar. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. We'll stop right there. I don't in any way want to overwork the story of Abram being detoured through his bad decision-making, I believe, into Egypt. We don't really have that given to us in the text, but it would seem by the essential chaos that erupted from his poor decision-making and, and the lame way in which he dealt with the, the situation in Egypt that it was clear that Abram was never intended to go to Egypt. We know from earlier in chapter 12 that God had called Abram to leave Ur and to travel down to the promised land, the land of Canaan, and there is where he was to be. It was at that time that we had the drought. Do you remember from last week that evidently a drought brought on famine? And at that point, we see what I would take to be a weakness in Abram's thinking. And I think that if you're honest with yourself you'll be able to relate to moments like this in your Christian life. It is that Abram began to doubt God. He was in the promised land. He was where God had called him. It wasn't that he shook his, face, his fist in the face of God. It was that he just doubted, based upon the circumstances that he was experiencing, that this is the right thing. He then turns inward to his own wisdom, which leads him onto this detour into Egypt. On the detour... The detour then leads him into this huge dilemma, which is he's got a beautiful wife. The Pharaoh wants her. He takes her. There's no indication in the passage that she ever made it to his bedroom, as we referenced last week. We would be thankful for that, as would Abram, I would think. And, uh, but we don't know for sure. But and then this diseases break out on Pharaoh's court. Everybody wakes up scratching and festering and boiling up. And they finally figure out that in the middle of their distress that the issue is that this guy has lied to them. It's quite a story, isn't it? And we see at the end there that Pharaoh, you would think in a tone of voice, go, Abram, go, get your stuff and get off my property. Why did you lie to me? And there we are. I wonder how it felt for Abram as he headed home. I thought that there was a message here 
I've entitled our message this morning, Finding Your Way Back Home. I want to be careful how I do this, but I want to, in a sense, use Abram's experience as a picture for how we as believers in Christ can sometimes take detours in our faith. I want to challenge us not to do that. I want to challenge us, though, to know that we need to get back home as fast as we can. I've subtitled our sermon this morning, Lessons from a Life Lived Out of the Will of God. Lessons from a Life Lived Outside the Will of God. I want to take, for example, chapter 12, verse 10, where it says, Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt. I'm going to use that as a word picture for us walking out of the will of God, walking away from the, from the peace and the security of being where we know we're supposed to be with the Lord. I don't want to stretch it too far, and it's not really what the text is about, but I think that exemplified in the life of Abram, this man of faith that Hebrews 11 holds up before us as a godly man, a man with a heart for God, a man who believed God. And I know from my own personal experience and I know from my pastoral shepherding ministry that this is a real issue. We don't shake our fist in the face of God, as I reference, but we begin to doubt God and we take detours And so in verse 10, it says, there was a famine in the land. He looks at the circumstance and he went down to Egypt. I'm going to use from this point on in the message, the word down to represent uh, synonymously as well as Egypt or down to represent being outside of the will of God. To go down is to go outside the will of God. To go to Egypt, to go outside the will of God. I'm going to use up to mean returning home. Look at chapter 13, verse 1. And so Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev. As I said, I want to be careful and I don't want to go too far with that. But as I studied this passage, I felt like there was a message in my spirit here and a word for the congregation that needed to be shared from this text on this reality. Let's break it down now a little bit and there are Four lessons to be learned from a life lived outside the will of God here. First of all, I want to suggest that as we see and observe in Abram and as we see and observe in our own lives, number one, that the doorway to down is unlocked with the key of doubt. The doorway to down to moving outside the will of God, to removing yourself from within the, the area of blessing on God, to dependence on self and to self-sufficiency and thinking you can come up with a better way, the doorway to down is often unlocked with the key of doubt. Have you been there? As I said, God had given a clear word to Abram. He believed God. And if you'll notice in chapter 12, verse 7, look what it says. The Lord appeared to Abram and he said, To your offspring I will give this land. And look what it says. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Keep that phrase in mind because we're going to see it again. Here is where Abram is in the will of God. Here's where Abram is in the land. This is where God called him. This is where he had trekked from all those miles after his father had died. 
But because of the circumstances, the famine, he began to doubt God. He began to wonder, how could this be the will of God? This is getting uncomfortable. This doesn't seem to make sense. And then he begins to look around, and what does he see? He sees everybody else from Canaan going down into Egypt to survive the famine. Well, then I better do what everybody else is doing. But he's not everybody else. He's God's man called to a specific place, a specific time. You know, I don't, I don't think this is necessarily done in a, in a big act of rebellion. I think he just woke up one morning and he was really hungry. And he said, you know, I don't know what's going on. And I know that the Lord said he would supply my daily bread. And I know he called me here, but we better go to Egypt. But he didn't pray about it. He didn't call on the name of the Lord. Off he goes to Egypt. Now, let me stop right here for a minute while I'm thinking about it and make a correction from last week. This is a pretty good Van Marceauism. And it was this. I referenced that when they moved down into Egypt to, to follow the Nile, get in the Nile River Basin, because there was water there, even in times of great famine, and they could irrigate, and they could farm, and they could have food. Off the top of my head, I referenced, you know, kind of like the Mississippi River, only the Nile is probably not as big. Well, the Nile is the biggest river in the world, people. All right? And the Mississippi River is the 20th largest river in the world. And my wife was careful to point that out to me when we got home. But uh, and she did it in love, and it was good. It was helpful to me. So if anybody caught that, some of you sharp college graduates over here who uh, um, you know, might be taking notes, uh, forgive me for misleading you in, in these geographical facts. And, um, and, and, and I wanted to make that correction and apologize for being careless with my details. Number one, the doorway down is unlocked with the key of doubt. Just questioning, questioning. I wonder if God really has my best interest in mind. Secondly, I want to suggest from Abram's example here that the highway down, the highway down to Egypt or down outside of the will of God is paved smooth with bad decisions. The highway to down is paved smooth with bad decisions. Don't you see this happening in chapter 12 as it concludes? What is Abram doing? He's doubting God, so he's moving with the rest of the world. Then he gets down there and he figures out that he's got an issue. He's got a beautiful wife that he thinks that in their culture they're going to want to snag. And he begins to worry about himself. One decision leads to another to the point that he's living in deception. He's lying about what is reality. Now, it's half-truth. We did point out last week that Abram was married to his half-sister, Sarai. They had a common father, different mothers. But he had married her. He had changed the whole relationship completely. And she was, in essence, no longer his sister. She was his wife. And now he finds himself just in this, this big mess. In his lack of wisdom, which led to a lack of integrity in his words, and in the way he was viewing his world right then, God isn't going to quite take care of this, so I better take care of it. What does he end up? He ends up in a situation that he never dreamed. It's like, it's like his world exploded. His wife's living in, a, in the king's harem's dormitory. He's living up the street somewhere, who knows where, scrounging food, and he has no idea how he's going to get out of this situation. And he's scratching his head and he has to say to himself, how did I ever get here? Well, I'll tell you how you got there. 
You doubted the will of God for your life. You doubted the care of your loving Heavenly Father. You doubted the reality of His Word to you. You took things into your own hands. You used human wisdom instead of faith in God. And now you're making decisions based upon a a broken down set of values at this point. That's the way sin is, isn't it? And by the way, he's in pretty good company, isn't he? Isn't that what Eve did when she went at the tree months ago when we were in... Chapter 3, look at the fruit, Eve, the serpent says. Look at the beautiful fruit. There it is. And what does Eve do? She doubts the word and the will of God for her. She doubts God's plan of blessing for her. And she decides in her human wisdom with eyes of sight instead of eyes of faith that, yes, this fruit is good for me. Isn't that what King David did? At the time when kings go off to war and, and he's getting kind of be kind of a fat cat now. He's on the roof of his palace. He looks down on his neighbor's beautiful wife and he decides he wants her. But the essence of his fleshly drive is what? I doubt God's ability to keep me as happy as I want to be. I doubt that God really cares as much about my personal happiness and good feelings as God does. I think I can, I think I can add to this. You know, we get into all kinds of problems, don't we, when we begin to trust ourselves. That's what Abram was doing. He was trusting himself. And all the way down to Egypt, he paves the road with his bad decision-making. Let's take just a minute and and let's go to a very familiar passage of Scripture. But it is possible that some who are newer in walking with the Lord or are just trying to figure out what it means to walk with Christ and and obey the Word of God, let's turn to Proverbs chapter 3, can we? Proverbs chapter 3. We have such a good reminder here, and I would encourage you to memorize these two verses if you don't already have them memorized. I've been surprised at different times when I've referenced these with people on a personal basis that they didn't always know these verses. I find them helpful on an ongoing basis in my own life. Let's begin right away with verse 1, though, and and recognize the importance of God's Word giving us direction to reveal His will to us. Proverbs chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. We're heading to those familiar verses 5 and 6. My son, Solomon says, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you prosperity. That is, the word of God embedded in your life, lived out, will bless your life. When you reject the word of God, you can expect to walk out from underneath the umbrella of God's blessing. I also think that by he's, keep my commands in your heart, that's an An encouragement for scripture memory. Not only reading God's word, believing God's word, memorizing it. That's a novel idea. Put some scripture to memory. Let love and faithfulness, verse 3, never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Now here it is. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Listen. That's one of the hardest things in the world to do, isn't it? And I recognize that God gave us brains and we're to use common sense and we're to, we're to believe our teachers and we're to do what's, what we know is best. But as we walk with the Lord and as we get in situations where we know this is God's will for my life and then we begin to toy with stepping out of God's will, thinking somehow this circumstance is just too right to pass up thinking that this is God, this is, this is, God will understand. God understands. I'm just so lonely, or I'm just so tired, or whatever it is. 
Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. But in all your ways, acknowledge Him. Isn't there a void of that in chapter 12, verses 10 through 20? We see no instance where Abram sought the will of God in going to Egypt. We see him worshiping before that in chapter 12, building an altar and being right with God. But then we see him evidently taking his eyes off the Lord and putting them on circumstances. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Some of us who memorized years ago in the King James, and he will direct your paths. There's a couple different images you can get there. The idea in the Hebrew is a straightening out of the path. That's why the NIV uses that. He will straighten your paths. If it's a straight path, then I know where to go. There's no turns. There's no forks. It's clear to me this is the way to go. It's a straight path. Yesterday afternoon, when I was at the ER with Janet, I wanted to go down to the cafeteria. And from where I was, even though I know Winchester Medical Center pretty well, lived there for 13 days once, even I know it well, um, I didn't know how to get to the cafeteria from where I was. And I went out a back door of the ER and I saw a lady working there and she said, oh yeah, just go straight down this hall and it's right at the end, one floor down. So I walked straight down the hall and then the hallway turned and jogged two different directions. And I didn't see the cafeteria. Well, it only took me a few steps to, to orient and see where I was. Oh, I know where I am. When it was straight, I knew right where to go. As soon as it turned, I didn't know which way to go. That's what it means here. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understandings. And he'll do what? He'll straighten out your paths. He'll give you a straight way to go. Abraham had a clear, clearly had a straight way to go. He knew right where he was supposed to be. But based on his own decisions, he then begins to make bad decisions based on his own wisdom. Back in Genesis chapter 12, I want you to see number three from our practical lessons here from the life of Abram, a life being lived outside the will of God. I want you to see that as he begins to come to his senses, number three is our boarding pass back home, home being in the will of God, our boarding pass back home is stamped with brokenness and humility, with brokenness and humility. What is it that brings Abram to his senses? He gets humiliated. By the grace of God and the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God, in spite of his faithlessness, God has not only blessed him materially, but God gets him out of this big fix that he's in by causing these boils to break out on all of the servants in the household of Pharaoh. They're miserable. They're wretched. They don't know what to do. All these sores breaking out on them. They finally figure out what the reason is and Pharaoh calls calls Abram into his presence. I don't know about you, but as I hear his voice there, I, I have to think that by the time Pharaoh was done talking to Abram, he was standing up, he was yelling, and he was saying, get out of here. You lied to me, just get out of here. And there goes the greatest man of God who's ever lived, and God's greatest representative on earth at this point, a man of great faith, a man that God is going to use mightily, who's his voice piece for that era, who's in a foreign land. He's not even supposed to be there. He now has no moral authority for his message whatsoever. He cannot point them to the one true and living God, these worshipers of the frogs in the Nile River. He can't do it. He just has to duck his head and get out of there as fast as he can. 
And I have to think as he got on his donkey and headed back, he just thought to himself, man, I really blew that one. I really blew that one. I doubted. And then I made bad decisions. And I think as he began to reflect, have you been here before? Have you felt brokenness coming on? Have you felt the weight of your own stupidity overwhelm you? And you say, Lord, I've had it. I've had enough, Lord. And the way back home, the boarding pass is punched when you can finally produce or when God produces in you brokenness and humility. You know, sometimes we're wiser and stronger, aren't we, when we get home after we've been down. Up sometimes is a lot higher up once we've been down. But isn't it a lot easier to just take God at His word instead of live by experience? And down has some issues too, doesn't it? I mean, some of us have been to Egypt and and we came back with scars and tattoos that we don't even know where they came from. And they never go away, do they? Oh, you see that right there? Don't even remember getting that one. I was down at the time. The rest of your life, these scars, these blemishes, you knew better. You didn't shake your fist in the face of God, or at least you didn't mean to. You just begin to doubt God's plan of blessing. Just begin to doubt His Word. Just begin to doubt that it's all real. And one step at a time, pave the highway to your own destruction. You know, once in a while, and I can think of testimonies where they never came up from down. They went to Egypt and never came back. Boy, sin will do that, won't it? Take you farther than you want to go. Keep you longer than you want to stay. Cost you more than you want to pay. Can't remember how the rest of it goes. It'll get you. Let's turn to James chapter... Four, real quick, please. James chapter 4. And let's just remind ourselves of God's attitude towards the humble. James chapter 4, beginning with verse 4. This, in a sense, lays a a framework even for what we're going to build on for the next couple weeks. As when Abram comes home now, And he gets home and he begins to worship the Lord again. He's back in God's will. The next part of our story is going to be Abram dealing with Lot. Peter in our New Testament says that Lot is a righteous man. But you're going to see Lot make decisions that I think mimic his uncle Abram and his bad decision making. And Lot is going to commit adultery with the world. James is talking about this a little bit, and we're going to talk about Lot the next couple weeks and overcoming worldliness. You adulterous people, James 4.4, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. And I think the word adulterous there has less to do with their sexual immorality and more with a figure like like the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah would talk. He used, used... sexually explicit, immoral terminology to describe those who turn away from a pure, committed, 
sacred love for God and go a-whoring after other gods, prostituting themselves with other gods. It's a spiritual immorality, a spiritual adultery. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. But wait a minute, I didn't choose to be a friend of the world. Yeah, you did, just by one little step at a time, turning away in doubt. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that the, that the Spirit He causes, caused to live in us envies intensely? Do you think that the Scripture says that without reason? That God is a jealous God? That the Spirit of God is tugging at you? He is wanting to keep you in His way? But He gives us more grace. That is why Scripture says, God opposes the proud. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34. God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to whom? The humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve and mourn and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will then lift you up. That's the ticket back. Back in Genesis now, chapter 13, verses 1 through 4, we see that the doorway down is unlocked with the key of doubt. We see that the highway down is paved smooth with bad decisions. We realize that our boarding pass back home is stamped with brokenness and humility only. And finally, number four, home is where we're going to find the healing and restoration that is needed. Home is where we find healing and restoration, forgiveness. So Abram, verse thir- chapter 13, verse 1, So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had and lot with him. Abraham became very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. It's a little per- almost a parenthetical thought right there, but it's going to have very much to do with next Sunday morning's message and Lot and Abram dividing From the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai. Oh, does this sound familiar? To the place between Bethel and Ai. That's verse 8 of chapter 12. He's already been here. This is where he started from. He's gone in a full circle. Between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier. You could underline that in your Bible. Where his tent had been earlier. He's already been here. He left. Now he's back. And where he had first built an altar. And then underline this part. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Back home where I belong. Lord, I don't know why I glitched out like that. But here I am. In humility and brokenness. Please forgive me for the detour that I just took and the distress that I caused and the shame to your name that I provoked in Pharaoh. He looked around. He had to think to himself, I should have never left this spot. This is really where I want to be. I don't know why I ended up way down there. Here's where I want to be. Does this remind you of another story in our Bible? Does this remind you of that story in Luke chapter 15? The story that Jesus told. You don't have to turn there. You know it well. Remember the story? Jesus told a a trilogy, three stories in a row in Luke chapter 15. The story of a lady and her lost coin. The story of a shepherd and a lost sheep. And a story of a father and his lost son. 
The story of the lost son goes on for quite a while. It's a long story. So it's similar to Abram's story in a way. A boy who lived in a house where he was blessed beyond measure by his father. His father in the story represents our heavenly father. He had everything right there. This is the will of God for you here, now, this place. But oh, the lure of the wicked. But oh, the green grass of the pastures of those who are outside of the will of God. It's so hard to turn down, isn't it? And so one day the boy wakes up. Remember the story well, don't you? Father, when are you going to die? doesn't really say that, but that's what it meant. Father, can I get my inheritance now? Would you just kind of kick the bucket so I can get my cut of the farm? I've got some parties to go to. I've got some people I want to hang with. I want to be a little more popular than I am right now. He gets his money. His father says, sure, go. Go. But then, opposite to Abram, in, an, in like manner of Abram, he left home only to find out when he got down there that home wasn't so bad after all. But unlike Abram, Abram left home because of a famine. This boy comes back home because of a famine. And there's a little Jewish boy swilling hogs. That's a picture, isn't it, of the bottom of the bottom trying to find an apple core or something in the pig feed that he could eat for nourishment. And then one day, it says in the NIV, it uses a great phrase, and when he came to his senses. You see, when you're down there, you are hopeless until you come to your senses. I have gone down there to talk to people, to try to talk them into coming home. Have you ever done that? I have have sat up in the middle of the night with people, and I won't tell you the stories, begging people, Get in my car right now and come home with me. Well, I can't. I got a job. I, got, I will make phone calls tomorrow. I will take care of everything. Get in your car right now and come home with me. Nah, can't do it. I have gotten up, gotten to my car, opened the door and said, I'm leaving. Are you going with? Nope. You see... When you're down there, until you come to your senses, it's hopeless. Some of you know that who have older children, adult children who are far from God, don't you? You've been praying and you've been begging God and you've cried till you don't have tears left for them. Listen, until they come to their senses, all you can do is keep keep crying and keep praying. Keep trusting the Lord. And the boy comes to his senses and remember what he said? Maybe I'll go back home and I could become a servant in my father's house. I won't even be a son anymore. I'm outside the will. I've really blown it. I'll just be a servant. And that's the beauty of the story, isn't it? And the whole point is, this is how our heavenly father is. As the boy comes over the rise, heading down the trail. Wouldn't you love to see that fat old Hebrew man tuck up his robe and run down that path for that boy? His gray beard blowing over his shoulder. I've been waiting for you. You've come home. Home. And what did he find when he got home? Did he have to go live back in in the barracks with the servants? Back in the bunkhouse? 
No, kill the fatted calf. Calf, set the table. This son of mine who is dead is now alive again. He's home. Let me pour out my blessing on him. And what do you think the boy had to do for at least the next three weeks before his heart got hard again? And the hymn writer say it well when he says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. I'm so in love with the Lord today. It feels so good to walk with the Lord today. How come tomorrow afternoon it can feel so good to walk away from Him? And this boy had to walk around that farm for the next three weeks and see it with brand new eyes, didn't he? He had to see it. Why did I ever leave here? Why did I ever waste my father's money? Why, look at the weeds in this. I love pulling weeds. This is, this is a fence line. I love this place. Feeding calves and lambs. I love doing this. I'm home. Man, it feels good to be home. Why did I ever leave here? Yeah, we're stronger sometimes for being down. But how much better is it to just not go down? I'm a lot more cautious driver now that I've been in a head-on wreck. But I just soon never have gone through that. If we just obey the law, follow after the Lord with love, He'll preserve you. I don't know how you feel about it, but I'm pretty tired of our young people walking out the door of our church and going down there. I don't think it's necessary. I don't think it's God's desire and design. I don't have all the answers. I know we have to fight for our kids, don't we? I know that it forces us as fathers and mothers in the home to evaluate what we're doing and, and our contentment with being here, up here, home. Making it so attractive that our children have no desire for over there. But I know some of you have done that and isn't it amazing how vomit is so appealing and then they want to return to their vomit. It sounds crass. It's the words of Scripture, isn't it? If only I could just learn to love being home. Home is where we find healing and restoration. Well, that's the message today. Kind of just leave it right there. We're going to build on this in a sense as we talk about the draw of the world and why Lot felt such a draw to pitch his tent towards Sodom. And we'll try to be practical and helpful in the weeks ahead as to some of the things that we do that are so unwise that lure us in to where we become carnal, we become outside the will of God, and we become even heading to Egypt sometimes at full bore, thinking we're going to get a good meal down there, and we'll starve to death up here at home. I hope the Lord will use this to challenge your thinking. Can I say a word to parents with prodigal children? I'm sure you've evaluated your parenting a million times. And it may or may not have contributed. Listen, this is, this is the, the way it is, isn't it? We live in a world that is screaming for our children to come over and play on their playground. Don't give up. 
pray for God to bring them to their senses. Pray for brokenness and humility. And that's where 1 John 1, 9 comes in, isn't it? If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Is that a great verse or what? Written to the church. Written to believers. The restorative grace of our Lord Jesus as He forgives us from going there when we were supposed to be here. We don't sin so that grace may abound. But what a great thing to have a loving Heavenly Father run off the porch and if we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us. Let's bow in prayer. Father, You know the work that needs to go on in our lives. Father, for the burden of prodigal children today, what a reminder it is how Satan has had his way in the church. And I just pray, Lord, that you would renew the hearts and minds of of brokenhearted parents. I pray that we would begin to hear stories of answered prayer. We long to see our prayers answered. That some of these children would come to their senses, come running home to be able to feast at our table again. More than that, to know the forgiveness that is in the Lord Jesus Christ to know what it is to feast once again at your table. Thank you for your patience with us, Lord, where even we, some of us who've walked with you for years, some of us who get paid to walk with you, we still like to go over there, trusting our own wisdom, trusting our own judgment, living by sight instead of by faith. We confess it. We ask for forgiveness. We love the feeling of restoration and renewal. Help us to revel in it and to walk in the truth. Father, as the world seeks to press us into its mold, may our love for you be the drive of our fidelity for you. May we hate sin and love righteousness. And may we have the moral integrity to be your ambassadors and to represent you in this present age of wickedness. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.